Pastor Ed Taylor is speaking of the difference between those who merely say they want to serve and those who actually do. Somewhere along the way in the church in these last hundred years or so, this whole idea of calling has just become an excuse to take advantage of people. I don't know if you've ever seen it that way, but that's exactly what it is. People with the gift of ministry don't go into this stuff. They don't go there. They just serve. Many of the folks with the gift of ministry aren't even told what to do. They just, the Holy Spirit tells them what to do and they jump in and do it. And they take care of it. This is amazing grace. Taking the initiative by the prompting of the Holy Spirit is God's preferred way of leading His servants. What that looks like has practical implications for all of us. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're learning about the gift of ministry mentioned in Romans chapter 12. It's not just a stepping stone to greater things, it is the greater thing. And beginning with more on this fallacy about serving with this gift or any gift for that matter, here's Pastor Ed. You don't promote, you know, I got a promotion, not a servant anymore. No, any promotion in God's church is a promotion to greater servanthood. And even the word promotion, we get the idea of moving up. In God's church, promotions moving down. The way up in God's kingdom is down. And until you get that, you're going to be a frustrated believer. Because the church of Jesus Christ is not like the world. The church is to be filled with servants, not only serving one another as believers, but serving this world. Because Jesus didn't come to be served, but rather notice, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now that might be a difficult picture for us because very, very few of us, if any, are facing crucifixion. I mean, I know things are getting tough in our nation for sure. Persecution of the church right now is happening in the political realm, but don't think it's not going to come in the doors pretty soon here as the world tries to clamp down on the gospel. Listen, let me just encourage you. Hear all the junk that's happening in the church and all the dumb laws that are being passed to try to hinder the church. Listen, you study church history very carefully and you'll find one thing. Every time the church was under fire, it exploded. Every time the world tried to put their thumb on the church and press it into non-existence, it thrives. And so you don't need to be afraid of persecution. You need to be ready to persevere, to steady on, to not give up. So I don't know that any of us in our lifetime are going to face crucifixion. And so we're like, well, I really can't serve like Jesus because I don't think I'm going to be crucified. I can understand that conclusion. But the whole entirety of Jesus' life was one of servanthood. And let me just give you one picture of the footsteps of Jesus that you and I can follow in. It's found in John chapter 13. Would you turn there with me? John chapter 13. We're looking at the gift of ministry or the gift of service. We've looked at some of the characteristics of this gift, and now we're looking at it in the life of Jesus. What did it look like in our Savior? John chapter 13. This is an example that blows our minds. I mean, this section, even though we know it, 
even though we've read it, even though we've heard about it, even though it's a part of our devotional life, it still just captures my heart for my Jesus. It just melts me to think of the God of the universe in human flesh would take that place of the lowest house servant to take care of very practical needs. I mean, this is God in human flesh here. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Don't miss that. Jesus knows that everything's been given into his hands. That's some power. (laughs) That's authority. He already knows it. He knows that he had come from God and was going to God. Verse 4 says he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Let me just say, the feet of the disciples were disgustingly dirty, nasty, and rank. They were. I mean, the roads of Palestine, the roads in that area, there's inches and inches of dirt, and then when when rain would come or they'd go through water, it'd get all muddy and nasty and disgusting. And so it was very common in that day to have large water pots right at the front door of the home. And then the lowest house servant, it would be his responsibility to make sure that as they were coming in to eat or as they were coming in to fellowship and hang out, that that house servant would take the time as each person was coming in and gird himself and get down at the level of feet and clean those feet so that they can enjoy fellowship together. Jesus takes the step for us as an example to his disciples, and he washes the disciples' feet. I don't know if you have ever been involved in some kind of foot washing ceremony or ministry night of foot washing, but I'll tell you, it's a very humbling experience for both the person that's washing the feet and for the person their feet are being washed. It is incredibly humbling to go down and wash someone's feet. That's why if we were ever to do that, and when we do it, we don't announce ahead of time we're having a foot washing. Because I know what you do. Like you would take like 10 showers, you'd take all that stuff out from between your toes, you'd probably go get a pedicure. You'd have a little Jesus right on your toes. Jesus loves you or something, you know? And that's not the intent. The intent is not we get all cleaned up and we have a nice, clean, wonderful ceremony. This isn't a ceremony. This is Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, seeing a need that none of his disciples decided to fill. And instead of looking around and going, you guys, what the? Hey, come on, somebody clean some feet. No. This gift of ministry flows through Jesus where he sees the need and he fills it. His disciples should have filled it. One of them should have got it. One of them should have recognized it. One of them, but none of them did. Serving in a, serving in a church in, is not like serving in the world. There is a place of servanthood. You know, I've met so many people whose master's passion in life is power and position and control and titles and authority. They want to be up front. They want the FaceTime. They want to tell people what to do. They, oh, of course, in a spiritual way, of course, for believers, but that's what they're into. That's their passion. That's what they want to do. But here, Jesus, with all the power that there is to have, 
Jesus has every ounce of power. There's no renegade molecule in all the universe that Jesus isn't in control of. And what does he do with it? Does he authority, you know, does he invoke it? Does he pop all the disciples on the head one by one? Boom, boom, boom. We got dirty feet, guys. I'm God, you're not. Wash my feet. Mm-mm. No. He doesn't even mention it. He just washes feet. He takes the position of the house servant. He used all that power to serve. All of it. You know, from my vantage point in the ministry, it's very interesting for me to watch people that serve and people that don't serve. And you can tell the difference. Just to watch those that are serving and those that don't serve. You know, I've found over time that those who are really secure in their relationship with Jesus Christ, those that really have this sense of abiding presence in Him, and just enjoy Him, they're just real confident in that, they'll do anything for the Lord. They'll do anything at any time. They'll just serve. They don't care about what people think or what people don't think. They're not striving for, for position. They're not looking for some position where they can have authority or they can get FaceTime or whatever, all the things that the enemy tries to do to sidetrack us from not using our gifts. They just serve. They're not concerned about being noticed. They're not concerned with any attention. They just serve. And it flows from knowing who you are in the Lord. Just understanding we're his servants. It doesn't matter what we do, whether we're seen or not seen, we're all important. And I love to watch that. But you know, there's an alternative too and there are those that serve with ulterior motives, but there's also those that don't serve at all. And usually they're not secure in the Lord. They're really distant from the Lord. They always talk about being close to the Lord, but they're really not because you can see it in their lives. It's really important to them to be noticed. It's really important to them to be up front. It's really important to them to, to really have face time in all kinds of things. I mean, listen, listen to me carefully, guys. You're hearing it from someone that's walked down that path before. And the Lord just said, you know, I'm going to teach you a few things, Ed. And he sent me to the nursery. He says, you want to serve? Go serve with the babies. And I remember thinking, I don't know about that, God. They cry a lot. They poop a lot. I don't, I know. I, I don't know. They're not going to understand the Greek. I just learned a Greek word, man. What am I going to do? They don't, they don't get it. They can't even read their Bibles, you know. And here I got this great, oh, I'm going to be the greatest teacher in the world. And God says, no, you need to learn how to be a servant, young man. You need to be a servant. And I spent many, many, many years. I still love serving the kids. God taught me a lot about myself and where, remember Jesus said, of such is the kingdom of God. Love the kiddos. I love serving in a variety of different ways, but God put me on different paths. You see, the people that, the people that have a, they, they serve with the wrong motives or they don't serve at all, well, what you'll start hearing is, oh, there's a need. And then somebody will say, well, I'm not called to that, Pastor. Oh, oh, okay, you're not called to that. What exactly are you called to again? Well, I'm just supposed to teach. I got a gift of teaching. I'm going to teach. Oh, you're called to teach. Well, you know, we got 10 kids downstairs that need to be teached. Well, I'm not called to teach those 10 kids, Pastor. Really? What the heck are you called to? It grieves my heart. I deal with this all the time. I'm not called to this. Really, you have a higher calling than Jesus, huh? You know, I just need 10 kids and need their feet washed. Oh, I'm not called to that, Pastor. Really? You've got a greater calling than Jesus. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, no, no, but I'm not called. What? What is it? It's your heart. And can you imagine the body of Jesus Christ if we stopped with all that nonsense and just served? 
that God would raise up one and put down another, like his word says? You know, there's a need. But you don't want to fill it because you're going to go somewhere else and do something. Somebody's going to fill that need, I'll tell you. It's going to get taken care of. There, there is a need to go clean the bathrooms. Well, I'm not called to clean the bathrooms, Pastor. All right, I don't know what you're called to, but somebody's got to. You know, someone needs to go out and maybe help someone get into their car as they're having trouble with their kids, single mom. Well, I'm not called to do that, Pastor. I'll do that, but I'm really called to do this. And No, no we're just called to be servants. That's our calling. And somewhere along the way in the church in these last hundred years or so, this whole idea of calling has just become, has just become an excuse to get what we want from people and take advantage of people. I don't know if you've ever seen it that way, but that's exactly what it is. People with the gift of ministry don't go into this stuff. They don't go there. They just serve. They don't even, like I said, many of the folks with the gift of ministry aren't even told what to do. They just, the Holy Spirit tells them what to do and they jump in and do it. And they take care of it. But we have these hierarchies, and we think this is more important, and this is more important, and this is more important. But anything that has to do with touching another human being is vitally important. Because it could be their eternity at stake. It could be just that one area that God is saying, you know, this is the area I'm going to manifest my love through your sacrificial servant's heart. And yeah, I know how to silence a room. Because some of you are thinking, oh, there's a gift of ministry today. I can check out on this. I don't really have the gift, and so I don't really have to worry about it. But, you know, any Bible study, the Holy Spirit's going to grab your heart. Because some of you are thinking, well, I don't have the gift of ministry, so I don't have to serve at all. <laughs> not true. you got a gift somewhere. You may not have this gifting that just propels you to service all the time, but there's no, like, there's no opt-out of service, right? I'm a believer. Don't have to serve. No, no, no. God wants to use you in a variety of different ways. There's just some God is supernaturally gifted that serve and serve and serve and serve. And then for some of you, your heart is so upside down right now where you think your calling is something other than what God has put in front of you right now. And let me just tell you, friend, that is not the case. Whatever's in front of you right now, God is asking you to be faithful in it because when you are faithful with the little, then God will make you ruler of more. But if you're not faithful with what's in front of you, whether it's your family, whether it's a, some little ministry God. You know, listen, we often, we often see this verse in the scriptures and we're often reminded of it. Don't despise the days of small things. Listen, in my estimation of what God's doing on the earth and touching people's lives, nothing is really small. It's all huge. Like you get to be used. God uses you as a vessel to bring a person to salvation. That's not small to me. But in our minds, we think in things of small and large. And so the Bible says, don't despise the days of small things. Because if you do despise the days of small things and you're unfaithful with what's before you, well, then the Bible says the person that was unfaithful, what you have is going to be taken away from you and you're going to be left with nothing. And then you're going to wonder, what about my great calling? And God's going to say, why weren't you faithful? Heaviness, I know. But you know what? You grasp this. You get this. You let God work it out in your life. It's going to come through more than just a Bible study. This is just the beginning. But you let God work it out in your life, and oh, the freedom that you have in serving the Lord. The freedom that comes. You see, because there are needs to be taken care of. I mean, let's just think of it in this case. Okay, you ready? Think about it this way. Here's Jesus, dirty feet, going to hang out, going to be together. There are 12 disciples with him. All their feet are dirty. They don't see the need. Jesus sees it and fills it. Let's just say somebody walks in the door right now, 
They come up, they stumble up to this point, they're bleeding, they're hurt, and, and all you guys that are staff pastors here, you don't do anything. And all of you lay leaders, you don't do anything. And here I am, you're like expecting me to do something, and I'm like, well, I'm not called, to, I'm called to teach. This is like teaching time right now. And, and, and dude, if you just hold on for another 15 minutes, I'll get, I mean, I'll get to you and, because I'm not called to that. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor teacher. I'm not called to help people that are bleeding and hurting in front of me. That's ridiculous, isn't it? You should leave a church like that if your pastor's like that. Or your leadership's like that. Or your staff's like that. Or your volunteers are like that. It's ridiculous. No, but what should be flowing in the Holy Spirit is everything stops. And those of you that have like a medical bent, you come over and render medical aid. And those of you that like to pray, you get a prayer meeting. And, you know, it's those of you that didn't turn your cell phone off, you can call 911 for them. And, uh... <laughs> and so we could just all serve together, you know? That's the moving of the Spirit. And if someone's going to get ready out there and get, make room for the ambulance. And, and, and all kinds of neat things happen when you're flowing in the Spirit. But what a ridiculous thing it would be if we just said, oh, no, we're not all called to that. I'm called to sit. I'm called to teach. I'm called. No, our calling is to serve and to love and to care. That's what connects with people. And this whole idea of what I'm called to, I'm called to obey God. That's my calling in life. And then I get to use the gifts that he's given me to just serve people and love them. There's no greater joy than to watch God use your life. I mean, I guess the greater joy than that is just to watch God use your life and somebody gets saved and their whole life gets flipped right side up. And so Jesus, you know, even if that scenario happened, we might all be able to come up with a good reason why we didn't help. But you know what I found? I found this to be true for me. I'm sure it's for you as well, but Good reasons are usually just bad excuses. It all depends on how you want to look at it. <laughs> how did it look in the life of the church? Flip over to Acts chapter 6 as we wind down here today. Acts chapter 6. You know, maybe you're tuned in on the radio right now and the Lord's just ministering to you and encouraging you. I encourage you to get these studies. It's a time of all of us learning our spiritual gifts so that whether you're part of Calvary or not, we can serve the Lord with joy and gladness. And I love this gift. It's so wonderful. In the early church, I want you to notice how this gift was flowing through the church. In those days, the number of the disciples was multiplying, and there arose a murmuring. Can I just pause there just to encourage you that any time a church grows, the next part always happens. Anytime God is doing a work of multiplication, Murmuring happens, complaining happens, those kind of things happen. Don't be surprised by it. Because every time God is doing a work of multiplication, whether it's in a church or it's in your family or it's your own personal walk, you can be sure that the enemy is trying to do a work of division in your life. And so there's always going to be these kind of things. And I love the leadership of the church. They went and took care of it right away. There was this murmuring that happened. Well, you know, the Hebrews uh, and the Hellenists were upset because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So the 12 summoned, verse 2, the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, some people misinterpret this like the apostles are saying they're above this practical task. That's not what they're saying at all. This is a verse of priorities, 
This isn't, well, the disciples only pray and, and serve the word and these guys only serve tables. Listen, I'm going to give you some homework here because we don't have time to go into it. But I want you to read through the book of Acts for about the next five or six chapters. And I want your ears to be open to a man that was chosen right here, a man by the name of Stephen. And this was just a table waiter, Stephen, just a servant, that he got raised up in this time in the ministry because there was a need. Give us some guys, the, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, they need help. So give us some guys, find these spiritual guys. They come up and they serve. And when you start to read through on the homework, you're going to find not only how God used Stephen, but, well, Stephen becomes the, well, I'm not going to tell you. You read it for yourself. So chapter 6, homework. It says that we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. And then notice, verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's what happens when you do things God's way, with God's giftings and God's timings. God, he spreads his word. People's lives get changed. And disciples multiply. It's wonderful. A couple pages over. Chapter 9, verse 36. Here's another example in the early church. We're looking at the gift of ministry or the gift of service. We've already seen some characteristics. We've looked at it in the life of Jesus in a very practical way. A little exhortation, little perhaps a rebuke, a little stirring through the life of Jesus. Now we're looking at it in an early church from these guys that were chosen to this precious, blessed woman. We know her as Dorcas. Then chapter... 9, verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I want you to notice this. You might want to mark it. This woman was full of what? Okay, you guys with me? This woman was full of? And? Which she did. She was full of them. That's how she was known. She was full of good works. And notice, she was full of charitable deeds, which means she did it for nothing. Because she was gifted. She didn't expect anything in return. What did she do exactly? Well, notice, after it says that she fell sick and she died in verse 37, you know, they send and tell Peter to come. And Peter comes, verse 39, and he arose and went with them. And, and just pause there for a second. Understand, when we're reading these things, this is a true story of a true human being, of a true miracle. Like, this is God working. This isn't just, like, stuck somewhere. And like, oh, it's kind of a little story illustration that might help you understand. Like, this is the real deal. Dorcas was a real woman known truly for her being full of good works and charitable deeds. And then she dies. She, she rises again. But notice verse 39. Peter rose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And notice, all the widows stood with him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. She just made stuff. That was her gift. She made garments and tunics and blessed people. Can you imagine that you just had one of those coats that she made for you? It kept you warm, and you were reminded not only of Dorcas and her love, but of the love of God through her, and they just had here, look what she's done, look what she does. And, and I know so many of you, with your hands, you're just so practical, knitting and crocheting and sewing and so many wonderful gifts with your hands, building stuff, crafting stuff. This gift is so valuable, so wonderful. Peter puts them all out. She rises from the dead, which is mind-blowing in and of itself. In verse 42, it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Because that's the whole bottom line of God working in a person's life. Many believing on the Lord. So what a great gift. What a great gift indeed. 
but there are some dangers associated with it, and we'll hear about them next time. In the meantime, as you heard Pastor Ed Taylor mention, specifically to you listening by radio, these teachings are available to you. Either visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. And this is Abounding Grace. How close are we to the end? And is Jesus coming soon? Questions like these are being asked during the global pandemic. Don Stewart looks into this in a book we'd like to get into your hands. It's titled, 25 Signs We Are Near the End. Don examines what the Bible has to say about coming events and what will take place at the time of the end. And he does so in an easy-to-understand manner. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. It's your generous support that helps us come to you each day on this station, so thank you for standing with us in this difficult time. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can take your resource request. If you'd just like to make a donation to the ministry, that can be done with relative ease online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through the app. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Be blessed. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.